2: $25 each.
1: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy
3: now.
0: That's Livenation.comslash concertweek to buy now.
4: I'm Katya Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last twenty-five years I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
2: They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's Thursday. If you're hearing this, the day it comes out, which means it's time for one of our favorite parts of the program: our weekly listener mail segment, where we hear from the best part of the show—you and your fellow conspiracy realist. Uh, today, we're going to <laughs> today we're going to dive into, as always, some strange things. Ah, uh, some military secrets, some hidden U.S. history, uh, as well as uh, what could accurately be described as a vonnegut esque think tank. I'm thinking particularly of a wonderful short story by Kurt Vonnegut, where the protagonist finds out that all of the world's big decisions are made by this small group of people who are thought to be experts, but all they really do is like arbitrarily. Gamble on racing some kind of animal. It's it's very it's very weird. Amazing, yeah. But it turns out Vonnegut wasn't uh, wasn't just exactly making this out of whole cloth, was he?
0: Well, Ben, I'm going to have to figure out what story that's from, big Vonnegut fan. And, uh, he really reminds me of, um, I don't know, Dr. Strangelove, for example, where it's this amazing satire, very much rooted in reality, but with a touch of the absurd, just enough to, like, make it feel whimsical or, like, Dr. Seussian or something. Um, I, but yeah, I need to read more. Guys, Oh, I do too, buddy. I do too. I've got about 15 audiobooks kicking at once, and that's not very good for a completion rate there, I'll tell you. But I need to read an actual book. And I think, Ben, you got me uh, thinking I think Vonnegut is the perfect uh, combination of uh, readability, um, intrigue, and storytelling. But also, like I said, it's got that whimsical thing that kind of really keeps you turning the pages. So maybe that'll help me get back into reading actual text.
2: It's bugging me that I, I that I don't remember the name here. I hope I'm not getting the author wrong. And I know a lot of our fellow listeners know exactly what story I'm talking about. and might be shouting somewhere in public, <laughs> yes. folks. I'm I'm, I'm going to try to figure this out and and nail down the story. I know it exists. I thought the author was Vonnegut, but either way, this is this is a fantastic uh, setup. And Vonnegut's great if you if you enjoy a good yarn, uh, yeah. just like Noel said. Uh, Incredibly original, wonderful, uh, wonderful wit.
0: Yeah, and, and beautiful wordplay as well, and kind of you know, creates his own terms that very much mirror our own. Uh, but still, again, really great world, world building. But we're talking about something that does feel maybe like something out of uh, Dr. Strangelove or, or something of Vonnegut would uh, come up with. Um, this kind of idea of a secret group of of scientists that are sort of like – plotting behind the scenes and solving Earth's most, uh, you know, um, epic problems, you know, like uh, things like climate change or nuclear proliferation or um, building, designing technology that could protect us from our enemies, but in really creative, almost cue from James Bond-like ways, right? Um, So the group we're talking about today is known as Jason or colloquially, it it looks like in a lot of reporting, known as The Jasons uh, in terms of The actual members. Um, And it is a group uh, that has been uh, under contract by the Department of Defense since the uh, early 1960s. In fact, 1960. It's made up of uh, 20 or so physicists, and it was initially called Project Sunrise. Um, and while they've kind of over the years sort of expanded their customer base, I guess, beyond the Department of Defense, the Department of Defense has always remained their largest client uh, or contractor, I guess, contractee. So in 1965, um, they actually started developing technology for warfare. They had actually developed something uh, that you could consider like an electronic barrier um, that combined several different technologies to uh, create uh, essentially a barrier that would um, protect, you know, camps from the Viet Cong. Um, They also, during the Vietnam War, developed kind of a controversial technology that was airdropped into the jungle um, because, you know, we know that uh, the North Vietnamese— Troops um, and their supplies were hard to locate because they knew their terrain so well. This very, very dense jungle um, and you know very harsh uh, climate and and you know v- impenetrable um, terrain at times. Um, and so the Jasons figured out a system of these remote sensors that you could actually airdrop into the jungle to create kind of a grid. It makes me think of um, a little more rudimentary version of uh, that 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 technology they use in the movie. Uh, Prometheus. One of the cool things about that movie were these little like kind of red orbs that were thrown into these dark caves and then like map kind of created a map of the of the space that you could then refer to. Definitely nothing quite that extreme but not terribly far off and it's the kind of technology that has certainly been developed and continued to be developed in terms of like remotely mapping things and all of the kinds of things that Google does, you know, with uh, their mapping technology. So the whole idea is, I mean, they really are this sort of Elite kind of DARPA esque, uh, you know, a group of of, uh, of scientists. In fact, they were initially, you know, part of uh, the the DARPA program. Um, so it's it's all about like solving problems, making the world a better place through technology and science. Um, and it's, it's very, very interesting. They've actually even helped the Department of Agriculture uh, figure out how to understand uh, data points that allow them to you know, increase crop yield. Um, they've advised the Census Bureau, for example, on how to you know gather data better and kind of streamline their operations. There's a fantastic article and uh, associated uh, audio piece from NPR um, that was heard on All Things Considered in April of 2019 – Um, And the main reason for the reporting of this kind of little-known group at the time was the fact that uh, in 2019 – Basically, they were essentially, you know, set to lose their funding. And their biggest, you know, employer, uh, the Department of Defense, was going to drop them. Um, As we know, this was during the Trump administration when the idea of scientists and, you know, climate change uh, kind of conflicted with, I think, the popular opinion of that administration. um, I've buried the lead here as well. Uh, This came to us from a listener with an incredible nickname— who you responded to, Ben? Francis Bacon, lettuce, and or tomato. All oh, hail uh, the one
2: true, yeah, the
0: one true, yeah. It's really, really uh, very clever. Uh, whether they're referring to Francis Bacon, the incredible surrealist uh, painter, or or Francis Bacon, the scientist and naturalist and, and philosopher uh, from history. Either one, big fan of both, but. Mm-hmm. Francis writes to us saying, good afternoon, gentle people. My partner brought this to my attention a few days ago, and I apologize for my tardiness. Have you ever heard of the Jasons? Had um, not. Had, had not either.
2: I've heard of groups like them, but hadn't it, heard of this specific.
0: Exactly, Ben. I know this was one that you were looking into as well. As I said, you, you wrote back to Francis. Um, what were some of the things that you uncovered when you went down this, uh, this fantastic rabbit hole as you described it in your response?
2: Yeah, this is this is incredibly fascinating uh to me. And and thank you so much for writing in Francis bacon lettuce and or tomato. Uh one of the first things that stood out to me, Noel, and I, I think uh you you found this as well, is uh that there's been a lot of attention paid to the origin of the name, and apparently it has been explained as an acronym in the past. Uh one of the uh Official acronym was apparently July, August, September, October, November, uh, meaning the time in which this group supposedly met. Or there was the more kind of jocular one, which was, get this, junior achiever, somewhat older now. (laughs)
0: that's funny it's also clearly a reference to jason and the argonauts um and you know the search for the golden fleece Mm -hmm. from greek mythology uh so so definitely some some interesting or origin stories you know somewhat mythological even well that's the
2: true one the one you're talking Mm -hmm. about is the true one the other one is just i think kind of an in-joke Oh, it's, there's the a lot. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it
0: is very much the whole thing is a bit of a, a bit of an in joke because a lot of it's in- because it's really something that doesn't get a whole lot of press, even in stories about things and projects that they've worked on. You don't
1: really hear it attributed to the Jason's. There's one more theory and this is my theory
4: and oh, it good, comes okay.
1: from the words of Pentagon spokesperson Heather Babb, who uh, makes a comment in this NPR.org article that uh, Francis left us in her message. And she just states that the DOD had a view. Uh, she's, she's speaking <laughs> very politically here, very yes. <laughs> being very careful choosing I her words. This one, yeah. <laughs> she's saying they very often would let us know if they thought an idea was bad, uh, <laughs> and were very blunt about it. And the DOD decided they didn't want to pay for that service anymore. Basically. The DOD wanted to pay didn't want to pay for hecklers anymore
2: or or they had already kind of decided they were going to go down a certain technological or R&D route and they didn't like people not, you know, playing ball, being on the team.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I was going to put forward Jason actually stands for uh, at least in the DOD's mind. I bet this is written on a whiteboard somewhere in the Pentagon. Uh, Just (laughs) holes. And then
2: I, I guess you guys would have to fill in the rest. Oh, uh just souls seeking other nuisances <laughs> there
1: you go <laughs> love it And
2: anyway,
0: okay that's it no this is great the, 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 we could do the, we can play the acronym game all day long but it's true this i mean whether okay whether or not the dod themselves and the officials in charge of the dod itself are the ones that decided they no longer wanted to pay for the service or not is <laughs> is up for debate. Again, I do feel like the administration in charge probably had a lot to do with why they maybe were no longer required, they were no longer needed, because if you look at their their timeline, uh, which you can find on a really great article from sciencemag.com, from Ann ThinkBiner, they begin to assess global climate models like in the 70s um, and were certainly outspoken in, internally as to what could be done to, you know, slow the uh, the effects of climate change. Um, in the 1980s, they proposed something called a laser guide star um, that would allow you to use lasers to detect missile systems or missile launches that are that are directed at at the United States. Um, and they actually were quite the boys' club until the uh, the mid 80s, when the very first woman uh, joined the group, an astronomer by the name of Claire Max, which is an awesome science name, in my opinion. Um, But here's the thing. Their contributions, though somewhat under the the radar, uh, are are very clearly pretty important and a lot of independent scientific authorities, let's just call them, really felt like this was a short-sighted thing to like cut them loose. And they were told in the fashion that many (laughs) folks who were running counter to the administration's uh, attitudes were told via tweet or something like that, or at the very least, very abruptly, with very little time to prepare. And they were, I think, given like a month or less to clean out their desks and, you know, move on. Um, And thankfully, the, I believe, Department of Energy decided they would pick up that contract. Um, Because, you know, all these independent agencies, you know, do have their own leadership. So some, I think, are maybe more beholden to the administration than others? I mean, I don't know. I know the president isn't technically, you know, he, the buck stops there, but uh, it does seem like the Department of Energy was interested and in, perhaps uh, more interested in their advice than the Department of uh, Defense might be. The Department of Defense being, you know, literally the war wing of the United States government and the president being commander-in-chief. Imagine that would hold
3: a
2: little more weight. Mm. Is, uh, quick question, because I think that Department of Energy contract started in 2019 and it yep. was not it was for a limited time originally right? Are I do think since, that's
0: right yeah, but 2019 like is when the story you know happened. Ooh. That's when like this this is not like a, a today thing this this was 2019 during the Trump administration when um, this was an, an issue um, and it's something they have you know they knew that they may not be you know, completely dependent on the U.S. government forever. So they certainly did things to kind of diversify a little bit. Um, but some of the things that they really did help in when they initially were, were assembled was, like I said, these Cold War kind of things, these nuclear uh, missile races and the U.S. government really understood that they needed to evolve or they'd be left behind and, and the technology would outpace them or wow. us as a country. Um and as time's gone on, you know, the government certainly has begun to employ its own scientists. And we know, you know, from conversations we've had on the show that when you're a scientist and you're working in government or with government, like we talked about with the, with the CIA and the space program, right, being sort of a front for the CIA – You have to kind of uh, make some sacrifices sometimes in the name of continuing to get funded. So I imagine this could happen in this situation, too. And if you are constantly being outspoken and criticizing the people who are paying you, uh, I imagine that you might not be long for this world. And it seems like that's what happened
2: here.
1: Here's my theory, guys. Uh, The group of just a-holes saying only negative stuff. Uh, uh, that's
2: where I was going too. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah genius, yeah, yeah. genius. I think is just uh, <laughs> saying only no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: Saying only <laughs> yeah.
2: negative stuff. No, we, we got it. Um, You're on fire with these theories, man.
1: Well done. So, so I think this is my theory. Uh, we know the Pentagon and DARPA and you know the groups that are working together on research and development are getting into some just highly technical stuff that maybe a little out of the range of some of the military expertise there. When you're thinking about artificial intelligence and quantum computing, some of these things that are so at the edges of research and development and science in general right now, uh, you know, the military is trying to develop stuff specifically for themselves in those realms. I guarantee you the Jason's were like, guys, maybe let's not, you know, make, make the artificial intelligence uh, capable of killing things and dropping bombs and deciding when those things happen. And, you know, I I bet you there's a bunch of negative feedback on some of these pretty terrifying things that perhaps the military is attempting to produce or wants to produce in, you know, the decade, in the next decade or so. And they're like, yeah, we actually need, we need people to be on board. Now, I don't know. That's my theory. That's just Matt Frederick.
2: Well, also, um, some degree of autonomy is desirable in think tanks, you know, and there there are a lot of very powerful think tanks that people don't really dig into. RAND would be another one, the RAND Mm -hmm. Corporation. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with searching out that expertise. I believe that DARPA actually parted ways with the Jasons when they got in a fight over adding new members apparently mm. one part of the autonomy of the jasons was that the new members would be selected by existing members and darpa wanted to put some of their own people in there so mm. so they're, they're pretty that. they've got their boundaries yeah uh interesting on a couple of levels
0: they are definitely still around um and then one of the big things that they're doing is publishing advisory, you know, kind of consulting um, white papers, I guess, you know, uh, on things like climate change. There's actually a really excellent article in The Guardian called 60 Years of Climate Change Warnings, The Signs That Were Missed and Ignored by Alice Bell. Uh, and it refers to studies done by by the Jasons uh, that are continuing mm. to um, talk about ways that we can mitigate some of these things that were
2: missed. I'd love uh, to do this as a as a full episode. I think so. The stuff I found is pretty fascinating already. Same.
0: Yeah, yeah, we both found some great stuff. One thing that I thought was really interesting is uh, there's a fun line, just the, the, the wording in and of itself is great, um, in the uh, Science Mag article that we talked about, and it talks about the pay uh, that these uh, scientists receive. And it says, I'm just going to quote it because it's very delightful. It says, They're reportedly paid $1,200 per day, a goodly amount, but less than what many of them could make as industry consultants. A princely Um, sum.
2: Indeed. It is not.
0: No, it is not. a
2: goodly amount. That's
0: (laughs) right. But the thing is, um, you know, because of their association with The government, not only are they making less money than they could be if they just went fully independent uh, and did their own consulting work as individuals, um, but a lot of the studies that they do and that are commissioned by the government, uh, around 50 percent of them end up remaining classified. Um, It's also why the identities of the members, aside from a few historical ones we know, uh, like I believe her name was Claire Max, the uh, astronomer, are kept under wraps. And uh, according to the Science Mag article, six of the 17 Jasons at the time of this piece uh, would, were not, would not comment, would not do interviews because they just don't want to be, I guess, um, it was the term, compromised.
1: Mm, new theory. The Jasons is completely made up of Russell Hemley and various sock puppet accounts that he runs.
2: Uh, <laughs> counter theory. Matt is the Jasons. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> this is, is this the
0: Kaiser Soze is this the Kaiser Soze moment of this episode? Like where I, where I look at the I look at the wall and just see all of the things that Matt has been using
1: to assemble his theories. Um You're brilliant, Matt. You brilliant bastard. You know what I would give to get paid twelve what was it, twelve hundred dollars a day?
0: Yeah. Oh, <sighs> Yeah, just to, just to sit around and save the, save the world, uh, we definitely should look into more about the Jasons for a future episode. So thank you, Francis, bacon, lettuce, and or tomato, uh, a very underrated sandwich, by the way, um, for hipping us to the Jasons. We're going to take a quick sponsor break, and we'll be back with more listener mail.
5: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a guggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATNT.com slash hypergig for
1: details. Terminix it.
2: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
1: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed.
0: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
1: If you dare. And we're back. And we're going to jump right into a voicemail left by this person. I'll tell you their nickname after.
6: Hey, Matt, Ben, no, super producers, or uh, multiple names. Um, just got listening to the Big Hole Listener Mail episode. Thought it was rather interesting. Um, you have permission to use my voice, that's fine. Or play whatever you want in the um, Here's the thing, I live in a place and we have a pretty substantial uh, Coast Guard uh, here. And uh, crazy. But if you want to hide something, like, keep it low-key, you know, here's an idea. Why don't you just put it in an old Walmart? Like, not even kidding. People have, have lived here for their whole life and have never known that in an old Walmart, there is no shit. H-60 helicopters, fully armed, parked in a pharmacy. It blows your mind. I mean, we had to do some work, make some gates or something for them. Uh, we got subcontracted to do it. We went in there, and of course can't take pictures, but we could talk about it. And you know, all they did was just keep everything low key. There were no guards. There was, there's no nothing. There's an event. There's nothing, and it's amazing. But I mean, there's actually a chunk of it cut out and and rented the, like a the harbor freight, <laughs> and you wouldn't believe what's inside there it's bizarre to go into walmart and all the accoutrement of walmart is still on the walls you know and there's still a pharmacy and it still has everything intact walmart floors and everything and there happens to be an h60 helicopter anyway just remember guys secret stuff is everywhere we just we just don't know and the best way to keep us okay put it somewhere no one expects anyway Oh, and we also have one of those crazy phone buildings with no windows in our town. And our town has thirty thousand people. All
1: right, see you guys. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Walmart selling helicopters. Not surprised.
1: Well, see, that's what I. That's <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I I called this person who uh, wishes that I refer to him as Dad Joke sixty nine and that. It's like writing the line of a dad joke in a dirty joke, and I think that's what he likes about it. Those are called daddy jokes. Oh, da- maybe, maybe it's daddy joke. 69. Just make it a
2: little extra creepy. Okay, yeah, but, <laughs> okay. But okay, so dad joke 69, and he had a logic behind this, right?
1: Uh, there, yeah, there, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we, we had a pretty great conversation. He does contract work mm-hmm. for metalworking. Ooh. and uh, he has gone into this specific location before. Now, we're taking his word for w- what this place is, what's in there, and all of the details, because there's not information that you can find online anywhere that specifically pertains to this old Walmart, to what's inside it, uh, There, but there are breadcrumbs that we can follow. So that's really what we're going to do here. If that's okay with you guys,
2: oh, this is amazing, and and thank you, Dad Joe. This is uh, this is true. It's it's not something that has a, a web presence documented, other than honestly, man, your call to us and your conversation,
0: guys. Yeah. This has a lot of uh, echoes of Jade Helm, exactly. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> just just yeah. throwing that out there.
1: It it seems like that on the surface. What I'll say is that I think there's a simpler explanation here, and I. I I'm not going to give a lot of details away, but I'm going to leave these breadcrumbs and we're going to talk about that very thing that you just mentioned. Okay, so the place where he lives, there are 30,000 roughly residents, uh, people that live in this town. It's in North Carolina. There is a substantial Coast Guard presence there. I'm not going to say the name of the town, but if you're really interested and you want to look it up right now, uh this is the place from where <laughs> 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 hails. And Dad joke 69 actually went to the same high school as Ooh. and they were very close in uh age there. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> um, um so this this place, this specific location, I looked at it on Google Maps. You can actually find it. It is indeed an old Walmart. And if you look at the satellite imagery on Google Maps, you can see a truck backing up into the loading bay area. And it is very, very close to a high school. Um, The reason why this is weird is because he said H-60 helicopters. Are you guys familiar with what those are? Not right Uh, off, but I was not right now.
2: Are they are they Blackhawks?
1: Yes, that is one of the versions of the H 60 helicopter, the most well known, the Black Hawk. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: if, if you can picture it, it's the type you'd see in, like, say, you know, any traditional war movie where you've got the side door that slides open and you've got gunner seats there. And it's like meant to transport a small uh, group of troops, you know, in, in, when you're in a conflict zone.
1: Yeah. yeah. Sure. And and they also have versions that are specifically used by the Navy. They have a different name to them. The Coast Guard has versions of this that they use. You've seen likely images or video of the Coast Guard going in for rescue using one of these helicopters, an H-60, just, again, a modified version that doesn't have the heavy weaponry. There's medical
0: mm-hmm. evac versions as well, things like that. There's exactly.
2: ones that uh, lay mines. Like, helicopters are around because they still have a ton of uses, They're they're yep. utility vehicles. They're
0: very nimble, and they can maneuver uh, much more easily and land uh, much more flexibly, I think, than, than
3: other mm-hmm.
2: aircraft. It's amazing technology. But it what really are they is. doing in a Walmart, Matt? Well, okay, so
1: th- according to Dad Joke, uh, these are uh, Sikorsky H-60s that were at one point owned by the Navy that were then purchased by the Coast Guard. Much in the same way, a surplus situation that we've discussed before, almost like Jade Helm in in some ways, where it's attempting to uh, sell off surplus equipment, heavy equipment in this case, to another organization or, you know, like a local law enforcement or in this case, the Coast Guard. Um, The weird thing is that in that call, dad joke says there's one in there. On our, when I talked to him, he said, oh, there are, there's eight or, or a dozen. If, if you looked, if you looked in this old Walmart, you would just see these decked out (laughs) helicopters with 50 cal weapons on them. Like we're talking the large weapons that a Black Hawk would have, or perhaps a, a, one of the Seahawks that the Navy uses, um, And they're just sitting here, and it's literally across the road from a high school, and nobody knows that these helicopters are in this thing. Ooh, is this? Should we be talking about this, guys? Yeah, I was going to say
2: nobody did know. (laughs) <laughs> what?
1: Uh, yeah. And for anyone that's yelling at their radio
0: about what WTF is, Jade Helm, just a quick reminder, it was uh, some military maneuvers, some training that were done on private property in a civilian area in a disused Walmart, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, the only reason I think we all heard
2: the connection there.
1: Yeah, it was a huge thing that they, are, they were actually selling arms as well, right? It was, it was like right. an expo. When, it,
2: when this occurred, we did um, an episode for 20, in 2015, I believe, a Jade mm-hmm. Helm update. Uh, do check that out for more information. Uh, it is tied into other reports, uh, typically ones that allege uh, the, that Uncle Sam is preparing to wage war on its own. Mm. Uh, for in one way or another, toward one group or another, you'll often see another example of this. Would be reports of FEMA creating tons and tons of coffins right. and shipping them off in preparation for something, some uh, sort of martial right. law situation. Right. Hmm. right, it's a martial law related belief uh, hmm. system, and there there are some crazy things. You know, you are likely living more closely to military infrastructure than you think if you live in the United States. Yeah,
1: I I couldn't agree more. And according to dad joke, this building itself isn't owned by Walmart. It is, in fact, a Coast Guard, or the majority of that large building is owned by the Coast Guard and is a warehouse. And if you go on Google Maps, it actually says that. If you click on it, it says Coast Guard Warehouse. Uh, Actually, it says something like, Coast Guard base, I think, if you click on it. But then in the comments, people are like, no, this isn't the base. This is just a warehouse. And then you can find the Coast Guard base, which is just down the way by the little airport that's there. <laughs> it was so fun talking to this person, to Dad Joke, because he was just making such I I don't know, it was just almost a joke to him. He's like, yeah, man, it's crazy. Like, Ooh. there's all these this serious equipment right there. Nobody knows it's there. And we both felt it was very Odd that these these helicopters weren't kept on the Coast Guard base, which is not that far away. And if you look at it, you know, from the top down, there's a ton of space over there. You could easily put them down there unless you were hiding them for some reason.
2: Yeah. And then there are also, you know, there are things that uh, could be done to render them unflyable or unusable that might not be readily apparent. Uh, Well, they do.
1: He said they always take the propellers off.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you wouldn't want to try to take one in a hurry because you'd have some assembly (laughs) required, like IKEA. But also, I'm wondering too, how many people in that area would know how to fly one?
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, the Coast Guard folks, I bet there's quite a few over there.
2: That's what I'm saying. It's not like (laughs) a car that could get stolen. Mm hmm. You know, you have to have a a helicopter specific guy on your heist team, just like an A-team. He's the, the chopper
0: pilot, that's what they call him, mm-hmm. uh, in that crew scenario. Re- really quickly, I just wanted to double back to the Jade Helm thing. Um, it was a series of training exercises um, that were taking place in civilian areas. The Walmart part of it was part of uh, a big group of conspiracy theories not confirmed. There were a bunch of Walmart closings that took place yes. uh, around this, and uh, there were theories that they were directly caused by the, using them as some sort of base or some sort of um, hub you know, for or this martial law takeover that you're, that we're talking about, but it uh, wasn't
1: confirmed. Yes. But ultimately Jade Helm 15 was a, a military exercise and weapon sales opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, no, also yeah.
2: information war, uh, warfare opportunity. That's, exactly. that's how I would, uh, that's how I would classify it in retrospect. But what I like about this story, uh, dad joke and Matt is that this, first off, this is clearly a true event. Uh, secondly, It reminds us of the interaction between public and private entities. Like The military buys up a ton of private stuff, forget every year, every month. In our own home base of Atlanta, Georgia, a quite large military installation was actually sold to a filmmaker of note, Tyler Perry. So it became a film studio. Mm -hmm. Uh, This kind of stuff happens, uh, it's a two-way street, so it's not... With that context, it's maybe not so surprising that these copters are housed or warehoused, literally, in a former Walmart, but it is surprising that everything seems, as you said, Dad Joke, so low-key about
1: it. Yeah. Uh, the, The parting quote, one of the parting quotes from Dad Joke was, you think you've got it all figured out. The government's all these powerful people hiding all these secrets. Then you just realize it's a bunch of local guys, and they put all their stuff in the old Walmart. Uh, <laughs> <I> just <laughs> thought that was fun. Um, but we're we're running up on time here, guys. But I just wanted to note a couple other things about this place. Right up the way, a little north north east of here, like very close, is the uh, academy training facilities. You may re- recognize academy the folks that were once Blackwater and XE and all mm-hmm. these other things. And they I, spell I,
2: it with an I instead of a Y. I, yeah, don't, know. I, I don't know why I, that part gets me.
1: I messed up, and I said, oh, wait, Academi? And he's like, you mean Academy? <laughs> I was like, yep, sorry. <clears throat> yep, Academy, that's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, Matt, honestly, um, I was often saying Academi because I wanted to separate it. From Academy, so got it. I think we both did that.
1: Really near perfect film series would ever get involved with with, with that group. Uh, <laughs>
2: near perfect. Okay. Wow. Agree to disagree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know who would have been great for this episode? Mm. Who's that dude that makes the helicopter sounds? Michael oh, Winslow. No. Yeah, Winslow.
0: Right. Yeah. From uh, the mm. Police Academy movies. Dang, he would have been perfect for this. Oh, police well.
2: Academy. <laughs> Indeed, well, Ben. Which is your favorite Police Academy movie? Six oh, no, number number four by number far. Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for uh, com- incredibly profound reasons,
0: <laughs> which, um, we, will, uh, <laughs> which we will leave to the imagination
2: which uh, We will leave to the imagination. Check out Rotten Tomatoes rating. That's that's all you need to know about that and other masterworks such as Jeff Goldblum's Vibes. I'm sorry Matt as you Always saying, vibes. We are Always pro vibes, vibes, vibes here on. Uh, that,
1: you uh last things last things um dad joke 69 says never ever take a Cessna plane or like a small plane. He said never do it. And I mentioned, yeah, you know we hear a lot about when planes crash. It's like those single engine sometimes twin engine smaller planes and he's like I'm telling you, I have done work on these small planes. Where I am just welding the most crucial parts of these planes, and they just go and fly. And I swear to you, I'm doing great work, but I'm just welding these really important components, and it scares the crap out of me knowing somebody's going to fly it. Um, something to think about. And the last thing here is that dad joke has come upon an expired, not I guess a vial or a bottle of one of the COVID vaccinations that he's got he was he was given to him because it's expired and they were gonna throw it away. So he was just like, well can I just have it? And they gave it to him. He wants to send it to us so we can, you know, study it further in the future when we find out, I guess, about something with the vaccines. I don't know. It just look out for that guys if uh if you get a weird package in the mail
2: and it's a vial. That's that's all I'm saying. One person's weird is another person's Wednesday, Matt.
1: Well, hey, consider this our Wednesday or Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, all right, that's it. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Listener Mail.
5: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, StraightForward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber. Live like a guggenheim man. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited to the availability in select areas. Visit at and hypergig for details.
1: Terminix it.
2: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
1: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week from now through May 14th. Get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows.
2: That's up to 75 percent off a summer
3: full of your favorite artists like Twenty One Savage,
1: Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste
3: Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just.
2: And we have returned for one last act in our weekly listener mail segment. We are not returning on our lonesome. We are joined by Andrew, who wrote an email about something we've alluded to in the past. Here's what he said. Andrew said, hey, realist, I can't be the only one who went into a full existential crisis when they found the word malungeon" next to an ancestor's name. Here we go. <clears throat> Being of a family who left Kentucky for Illinois in the late 1800s, I had never heard a single thing about Melungeons and was never given any explanation for our family's distinctive look beyond a vague Cherokee princess in our past. Yours had already been one of my favorite podcasts for a couple of years when quarantine sent me onto a journey into my past. Imagine my surprise when I saw Melungeon in Ben's bio. I am feeling pretty lost in the weeds with all of the new information coming at me. I'd love to hear more about the mysteries of these people and was wondering if you've done an episode or would consider doing one in the future. Thanks for reading. I'm anxious to hear more. Andrew, proud Belungeon? Roma? It's Mm. a good question, Andrew. Um, This is a story that's uh, close to my personal experience, as Matt and Noel are well aware. Uh I do come from a historically a Melungeon family, and this word this concept is is filled with all sorts of fascinating legends, if untrue fascinating and what i'd like to do uh what I'd like to do for you today, Andrew, is tell you the legend as I heard it growing up, and then tell you the truth or what is the current accepted science uh and then maybe explore a little bit of how how the this story became so confusing through history's palimpsest or the game of telephone and Noel, Matt I apologize to you guys because you have heard this story before when we've been hanging out off air
1: I'm excited about this we (laughs) almost made a tv show about this Ben the Melungeon treasure,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was not our original choice. <laughs> <laughs> it was not our first choice. Wasn't Elvis a Melungeon or in some uh, some way connected with that group? So there's speculation that Elvis is uh, one of his parents. His mother specifically was a Melungeon, that Abraham Lincoln had some sort of connection the thing about this is a lot of it's based on legend. But there is uh, there is a true story. And Melungeons are a real part of the world uh, here in the United States. So the stories I heard it, Doc, could we get like a corny once upon a time cue? Perfect. Thank you. All right. So as I heard it, way, way back in the day when Europeans were first uh, going into the hinterlands of the Appalachian Mountains, they encountered people they had never seen before. These people had darker skin, uh, but they seemed to have European facial features. Uh, they lived in longhouses, communal living quarters, and they, surprise, seemed to speak some incredibly antiquated version of English. Who are you people? said the Europeans. Uh, we're we're uh we've just always been here why and they're like well because if you are native american that's not the word they would use at the time but they said if you're native american you have to gtfo <laughs> when you get out this is our place now and they said oh no we're not uh no we're um and they looked around and they were kind of thinking like what else could we be what else do you have and then they said there's uh, a melon <laughs> right well, or no, we sure. uh, mel no not, not yet. They're not at that point yet. They say, oh, we're, uh, we're Roma. You know, that's, that's, that's what we are. And so fast forward, however many years, however many decades, Europeans return to this isolated area and they say, hey, did you all say you were Roma? And they're like, well, what happens if we're Roma? And they say, well, if you're Roma, GTFO, you got to get out. <laughs> they're like, oh, no, we're something. We're uh, <clears throat> something else and so from that's the story as i heard it and from that for centuries uh people have been trying to guess what these people were some of the first free people of color legally in the us uh and the subject of all sorts of legends many of which you probably wouldn't hear outside of hancock county east tennessee where historically they're based so andrew the the answer is that Melungeons as a group or as a name for many other similar groups. Melungeons are a real thing. Today, we would call this group a tri-racial isolate. Uh, The DNA mixture is from Native American populations, uh, people from sub-Saharan Africa, and uh, Europeans. So this all kind of mixed together, and as far as experts can pinpoint, uh, it began in Wise, Virginia. Or somewhere thereabouts, around the 1600s. That's where they think the population originated. But still, you know, science science has a hard time going up against legends and tradition. Uh, so over the centuries, malignants have been associated with things like hidden treasure, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> which I wish we could find. Don't don't get me wrong. I I hope we find it. Uh, And then the allegations of extraordinary powers or occult covenants, things like that. uh, Those were things that people really believed. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you guys, Noel, Matt, had you ever heard of this term before we met? No, (laughs) no, I haven't. Uh, No. Yeah, (laughs) it it
0: was uh, something that I was learning. I've learned about, honestly, but through through you. And then I think we've done. We've done some episodes about it in the past that explored it a little bit more, you know, deeply, but um, it is definitely not something that was ever on my radar. So I, I thank you for that, Ben. Uh,
1: just so you know, personally, Ben, for me, it's a term I i guarantee you I'd seen before, but not until we had a conversation about it did I begin noticing it, where I had that effect where now I see the word when, it, when it's in an article or something, and I now I recognize it, I guess, if that makes sense. I didn't know what the word melungeon meant until we talked about it. And I learned about Silverado and uh the lost
2: silver of the Appalachians. Oh, boy. Of Appalachian. That part wasn't us, folks. But uh <laughs> but yeah, so so yeah, without going into some autobiography or personal life monologue. Let's, let's take a look at the, the larger issue here. There, there is a ton of folklore associated with this. Um, the typical description, the historical description of what would qualify as a Melungeon, uh, you're not going to see a lot of people like that in Tennessee today, unless you're in very specific, isolated pockets of Eastern Tennessee. Uh, you'll see people who have Last names, surnames associated with Melungeons, uh, and you'll see some Melungeon traits. But because of the way this group has been defined over time and the way in which it tried to work within the United States, they've been largely assimilated. So it's not like, it's not like you're going to drive past some railroad tracks and then all of a sudden have somebody say next to you in a hushed whisper, we're in Melungeon town. No. It's, it's it's not that extreme but the bigger question is one of the history of north america because what we are often taught in this country is relatively sanitized or it has its own agenda that it is pushing that has historically been the case and what we see when we look at actual history is that the the narrative is rarely as clear cut as a textbook uh, the way that the story or the idea of a Mlungin community, Melungeon communities, I should say, the way it got muddied is pretty interesting because it became a catch-all term for people who would now be described as, you know, members of a triracial racial isolate community. And that means that there may be people who have nothing to do with East Tennessee who identify themselves as Melungeons, or historically the community in which they lived identified them as such. And this is, I, I think this is fascinating because it proves that there is still a lot of historical mysteries on this continent. It doesn't stop at, uh, what, Croatan? That's how you say it. No, for sure.
1: Ben, I, I was looking just at what you're talking about there, the, the history, even the word that's used and like what it means and why it's, why it's used. Uh, I was looking at the book "Children of Perdition" from Tim Hashaw. Or I think that's how you say his name. Um, you can definitely see where there was a there was a lot of um, prejudice and uh, racism around, um, uh, like centered around Melungeons mal- in the population at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And there are uh, you can easily search the internet and see historical pictures of this there are also works of fiction there are also plays uh, notably there there's one play uh, most notably a play called Beyond the Sunset uh, which came out in the late 60s i want to say uh, this this conversation is important because for a long time in my family and extended community the question of origin was a matter of which legend a person preferred. And as the United States went through its trials and tribulations, the, the narratives of these people also changed in step with that. It wasn't until the emergence of better genealogical tools that more people were able to trace uh, this sort of, this sort of lineage or this sort of uh, family history. And we have one example and the stuff they don't want you to know family of someone who did take, uh, did take a DNA test. And that's our very own Noel Brown. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past, Noel, but I think you were, you were a little surprised by your results.
0: Well, I was surprised and that I was kind of underwhelmed. Um I was just kind of like it was just kind of like a big swath of like basic nordic kind of uh uh you know heritage. Um without much super interesting um you know connectivity. Uh but I did find out there's like a another step you can do or you can take those results and get them further analyzed that give you a little bit more of a a sexy breakdown in terms of like specifics, but yeah, the the out of the box um, results were a little bit uh, man.
1: Man, for two hundred dollars, that's a that's a steal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, worth the early weren't the, oh, early, weren't the er, early DNA test. Something like you are from Earth. That will be five hundred dollars. You're probably from one of the continents. <laughs> yeah,
1: but yes. thanks for your DNA. Thanks <laughs> for your DNA. So, just keep that right here.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it right here. So uh, in in real terms, Andrew, what this means is that people who are from families that have been historically identified as Melungeon will often not physically resemble the Melungeons you would see in an historical search. Uh, and people like this are not alone. A ton of people in the US have more to their family tree, you know, than they would guess. And I'll say it honestly. A lot of people have stuff in their family tree that would unpleasantly surprise them because history is a very, very long thing. Right. And we're just the newest part of it. So what does this mean today? And what does this mean for you? Well, this means that you have an entirely new book or chapter in in the story of everything that led to you writing to us and hearing this podcast now. If you want to learn more about the current Melungeon community, which is still active, uh, and if you have Facebook, then I would recommend checking out uh, several Facebook pages. Uh, You can find them pretty easily. It's a bunch of people sharing genealogical information up to and including some of their DNA info, that last part I would be mindful of, but it is up to you and I uh, would love to hear back from you. We'd also love to hear, I personally would love to hear from more people who are historically part of a tri-racial isolate community uh, because these are stories that don't often make it to the ma- mainstream because it might not be a huge community of people or it may be a group of people who are historically disadvantaged and kind of ignored by the mainstream. So If you have a story like that, we'd love to hear it. If your Walmart is housing helicopters or something that you don't think a Walmart pharmacy would normally sell, we'd love to hear it. And if you are one of the Jasons, we'd also love to hear from you. You don't have to be one of the elite scientists, Jasons. You could just be a Jason.
0: Oh, yeah. A Jason, a Steve, or whatever you might be. You, uh, you can be a Jason.
2: You can ah, know a Jason.
0: C- you certainly can. All you got to do is, <laughs> uh, is is have a computer and some internet access. Actually, not even that. But we'll get to that in a second. On the internet, you can find us in the usual places. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on YouTube at Conspiracy Stuff on Instagram. We're at Conspiracy Stuff Show. Uh, and like I said, no internet access access needed. You can actually give us a telephone call.
1: That's right. Our number is one 833 you have got three minutes to leave a message. It is your time. Do with it what you will. Please let us know if we can use your message on air. And if you'd like to refer to us as your name or some awesome nickname you come up with on the spot or wrote the night before uh, and spent like way too much time on it. Either way, we're good with that. If you do need more than three minutes and you've got links, you've got pictures, anything like that you want to share with us, please send them our way using our good old-fashioned email address. We are
2: Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
1: Zumo Zumo Play.